only depends on God himself. All right. So, what we've got here, the old has gone. Because ultimately, it was only there to show people that they needed something other than the law. If salvation depends upon you doing your bit, then the law has showed us all it's not going to happen. So, a new thing is there, grace comes in, when God simply says, I am going to save you simply because I am going to save you. It depends on me. And it was the death of Christ on the cross that sealed it completely. And once that was done, the old was annulled. It passed away. It had done its job. So therefore, grace is what we're under. A royal grant whereby God says, I am going to save you, but not only that, I'm going to change you on the inside, and I will do it. So, the question is, alright, here we have grace and not law. The question now is, right, a covenant, and it's a new one, it's of grace. It's vital to ask, well, how do you enter into it? I mean, how do you connect in? There's salvation, it's there. How do you get in there? And the answer is by faith in Jesus. By accepting that free gift. Because what is a royal grant? It's a gift. The king says, I'm going to give you this. So the king says, I'm going to give you salvation. And you accept it by believing on Jesus and trusting him. It's by faith. If you go to Romans 5. Romans chapter 5 <clears throat> and uh, verse 1 and 2. And Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, and justified, justified never sinned. If you're justified, you're saved. The penalty of sin isn't going to come your way. Uh, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. The grace of God, not law, that depends on you, but the grace of God, a covenant that depends only on God himself. And of course, the Salvation Series gives you the full picture. Um, if you go to 2 Corinthians, see here Paul speaking to Christians about the new covenant that they're part of. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and uh, we'll start reading from verse 2. He says, You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by all. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our work written not with ink, but with the Spirit of God, not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. Um, and then in verse 5, he says, Not that we are competent in ourselves, but our competence comes from God. And he says, He has made us servants of a new covenant. See, a new covenant. Not of the letter, that's the Ten Commandments, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills 
The old covenant, what did it do? It told you you were sinful. That's it. You've had your chips. But the Spirit gives life. Because the new covenant, Jesus changes you on the inside and you're saved, you see. Um, go to um, chapter 5. Chapter 5 and verse 17. Where Paul simply says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. What's gone? The sin and the law, the efforts to try and change, you can't do it. All that has gone. The new has come. God has changed us on the inside. The law is now written on our hearts and on our minds. It has changed us on the inside. Go back to Exodus 19. Because the point is, the law was there to kind of show what is eventually going to come in Jesus. The law was simply there to say, the covenant of the law isn't going to get you there, but it's showing you that if you are going to get there, it's got to be by grace, and grace is eventually going to get you where the law can't. Uh, and in Exodus 19, and again we saw this in the study when we dealt with the law, Exodus chapter 19, and find verse 3. Um, no, well, um, that's right, we'll read from verse 5. God says, if you obey me fully and keep my law, then out of all the nations you will be owned by me and treasured. All right? A possession to God. God is saying you're going to be my treasure. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God says that is what is going to be true of you, O Israel, if you obey me. Did it become true? No. They broke the covenant. But now go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter and chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and uh, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. What God said in the old, but never came about because they broke it, has now become true in the new. And we haven't broken it because we can't. God gave it to us. What Israel could have been, if only they'd have been holy, but of course they couldn't, they were sinful. So they never got there. In the new covenant, we are there. Because God has made it so. It doesn't depend on us. It's simply a gift. Unconditional. It is true of anyone who is a Christian. So, what do we have so far? Just to kind of bring the phrase together. The law revealed sin. And it demonstrated man's utter helplessness to earn his salvation. Alright? It dealt only in externals and could do nothing to change people on the inside. It showed you that you needed salvation. But it then said, if you're going to get it, you've got to do your bit. And therefore proved that if salvation was to come, it would have to be through something that God did that only was down to him. 
So the law brought death. It said you're a sinner and you're lost. And it made no provision at all for you to be saved. All right? Uh, the letter, as it were, because the law was written down, kills. The law kills you. But it was only there to bring people to the new covenant. It was there to show, look, you are in a state, you're in utter slavery to sin, you can do nothing about it at all, all right? Therefore, it was there to bring us to Jesus and to a way that could do everything that the law couldn't. So now we're justified, we've been set free, you know, from the penalty of sin. But more than that, the new covenant has changed us on the inside. We're born again, a new nature. And therefore, the new covenant doesn't just justify you, it sanctifies you. It doesn't just free you from the penalty of sin, it provides freedom from the power of sin. So the letter kills, but the spirit, the new covenant, brings life. The law showed as a conditional thing, you do your bit, and God will do his, showed that if we were to be saved, it would have to be by royal grant. It would have to be in such a way that it only depended on the Lord and didn't depend on us in any way at all. And so the new came. Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood so that by faith in him, we might be saved. And having been saved, we're home dry, all right? So the covenant, the new one of grace, is entered into simply by accepting Jesus as Saviour. If you believe on Jesus, you will be saved. And that's how you get in, and that is how you get saved. Now, just there, I just want you to draw a line under what I've said. And I'm saying that because some of you might want to leave it there. A lot of Christians would want to leave it there. They say, oh, well, that's great, you know, the new covenant, fantastic. That's all we need to know about it, that's great, you know. And many Christians would say, you know, fine, that's it. Uh, a few years ago, I'd have been quite happy to leave it there. And if you want to keep it there, fine, but wait until you've heard what I've got to say now. <laughs> because I find I've got to go further, all right? And the reason that I can't end it there is because um, we've hit a massive problem in what we've said. That last bit, a massive problem. And the problem is basically this. If grace is royal grant, a covenant that is simply a gift of God, it depends only on what the king does. The king decides to give you something, and you get it, all right? So, unconditional. That's what a royal grant thing is all about. No conditions. So, therefore, how can we then uh, kind of be happy thinking in terms that there's a condition that you have to fulfil in order to enter it? I believing on Jesus. Can you see the problem? If a royal grant covenant is simply a gift that the king gives you, and it's, there's no conditions attached. The idea then that we have to fulfill the condition of believing on Jesus in order to get in is saying that there's a bit for us to do. But we've seen that the very nature of royal grant and the very nature of grace is that there is nothing 
for man to do. There is not a bit for him to fulfill. Let's, let's just very quickly go to Genesis, find chapter 3. Let's very quickly remind ourselves of the first four covenants in the Bible that God made with man. This is very, very quick. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14 to 15, the first one we saw was the covenant in Eden. And what was it? God said, I will put enmity, this is verse 15, I, and he's saying this to the serpent, you know, whom Satan used, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Here, God says, Satan, what you have caused to happen here in Eden, I'm going to undo. It's all going to be undone. And it's going to be through the seed of the woman. Royal Grant. Why? No one else has to do a thing. It happened. No one did anything to make it happen except God. It just happened. Uh, go to Genesis chapter 9, covenant number 2 with Noah. Uh, well, just the last, you know, sort of the last verse of chapter 8 first. Verse 22, as long as the earth endures, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, night and day will never cease. And then God goes on to say, I'll never destroy the earth again by flood. And as a token of that, a rainbow. Did anyone have to do anything? Not a thing. God said, this is what I'm going to do, and it was done. No one had to enter into it. It was just given to them. God brought mankind into it. Mankind saved or unsaved, is in the covenant with Noah, whether anyone likes it or not. Everyone is. They haven't been destroyed by worldwide flood. See, so there are still seasons for everyone on the face of the planet. You don't get any choice about whether you're in that covenant. Um, the covenant with Abraham, Genesis 12. Chapter 12. Verse 2, God says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. All the people of the earth will be blessed through you. Abraham didn't. God stated it as a fact. Um, and then there was the covenant with David. You know, don't turn to it. We saw that when God said to David, I'm going to make your kingdom everlasting. Did David have to do anything? He didn't. He didn't at all. So the point is this. All these are royal grant covenants, just like the new covenant. It was the old covenant, the law of Moses, that was the exception. This is the norm. In all those covenants, did anyone have to do anything in order to enter into them? No, they didn't. They were imposed. God just did it. Bang. There it is. So, the point is, a royal grant covenant can only be entered into by the one who's making it. You see, there's only one person involved in a royal grant covenant in making it, and it's the person who makes it. When the king says, I am going to give you this, it was him. It wasn't anyone else. I mean, yeah, the person received what the king wanted to give, but he was, the king was the only one who had to do anything about it at all. Uh, the one who receives the gift isn't entering into a covenant, he receives the gift because he's in it. He doesn't enter into it, he just gets the result of that covenant, you see. So, we've got to ask, in regards to the new covenant, these four, Eden, Noah, Abraham and David, they just happened. No one had to do anything at all, no conditions to fulfil. Is the new covenant different? 
Is it that in the new covenant you have to believe on Jesus? You know, that sort of it's a Christ saying, well, okay, you know, let's evangelize. Well, there's a covenant on offer here. And if you believe on Jesus, then God will let you into the covenant. You'll get the benefits of Royal Park Covenant. No, that's suzerain vassal. Wrong type of covenant. You see. Um, do people have to believe on Jesus in order to enter the new covenant? And the answer to that is, and I'm, I'm going to show you this quite clearly from the Bible, that no one enters into the new covenant by fulfilling the condition of believing on Jesus. That is not what the Bible teaches. Rather, what I'm going to show you to be the, the truth is that someone believes on Jesus and is therefore saved as the direct result of having been already put into the covenant by God. You don't believe and then enter into the covenant. The fact that you believe demonstrates that you are in it and you believed because God named you in that covenant. So, it's which comes first, all right? Let's go back to Abraham, all right? In Genesis chapter 12, all right, we saw that initially when God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation, all right, that was in chapter 12 and verse 2 and 3, all right? But we've got to ask ourselves, the Bible also tells us that, that the moment came when Abraham believed on the Lord and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, which came first? Well, the covenant, when God said, I'm going to do this concerning you, Abraham, that was in chapter 12. But Abraham didn't believe on the Lord and have it reckoned to him as righteousness until chapter 15. Now, that might be the wrong way round for some people, but I'm sorry, I didn't write the Bible. Can you see? The point is, Abraham is party to that covenant uh, not because he believes. It's not that he believed the Lord and the Lord said, right, you fulfill the condition, come into the covenant. Abraham was in the covenant and then, as a result of being in it, he believed. It was that way round. He didn't enter into a covenant by believing. God put him in the covenant and then a little while later he believed. And he believed as the direct result of having been put into the covenant by God. We're seeing really just one thing in this series, and it's that a covenant between God and man must, must be royal grant. A covenant between God and man must be unconditional, as far as man is concerned. Why? Well, because the problem is that man is in slavery to sin. And because man is in slavery to sin, he is utterly incapable of doing anything at all by way of his part of the bargain. And the law of Moses came as a conditional thing to prove that. Israel could not fulfill their part of the bargain. So what we're seeing is that in a covenant between God and man, it must be on God's side with only God doing it, or it's a waste of time. I mean, if the new covenant was like the old covenant, suzerain vassal, conditional, would anyone ever get to heaven? The answer is no, of course not. 
Because first sinning, you've lost your salvation for a start. No, the covenant of grace must be unconditional. It depends on God doing it all. Man has no part to play at all. Now then, you may want to respond to that by saying, yes, but Beresford, all we're talking about is believing on Jesus. I mean, we're not talking about obeying the law, is it? I mean, all we're talking about is receiving a free gift. I mean, that doesn't require righteousness, does it? I mean, man can be a sinner and still do that, can't he? Now then, two things. Number one, wrong. No, he can't. When you believed on Jesus and became a Christian, that was the first truly righteous and godly thing you ever did. Because God has commanded us to believe on Jesus. When you believed on Jesus, you thoroughly obeyed God for the first time in your life. So we can't get by by saying, oh yes, but believing in Jesus is somehow morally neutral. It's not. It was the first godly thing you did in your life. And if you're saved because you believed in Jesus, all right, then the point is, you came up with a good act as your part of the bargain. And in response to that good thing that you did, God saved you. That is salvation by works. It's not the new covenant of grace. Secondly, where do you think, when you, I mean, when you put your faith in Jesus, where did that faith come from? Where did you think it came from? Go to Romans. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and we want verse 3. And uh, the second half... Paul says, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. I'm going to say sober judgment there. <laughs> think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So when you believed on Jesus, how did you do that? Well, because God gave you a gift of faith. It was a gift that you were able to repent and believe on Jesus. Now, what's that? That's a Royal Grant Covenant, isn't it? Yeah, it was part of the Royal Grant Covenant. You found out that you were in the Royal Grant Covenant of Grace when you believed on Jesus because God gave you the gift to be able to, go to, to do so. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. You see, no conditions here for man to fulfill, are we? Not even believing because even God fulfills that condition in us. See? When I came to Jesus, that wasn't what I did, that was what God did in me. It wasn't me fulfilling a condition, that was God doing something in me. Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, in the Greek, the hour isn't in there, so not that hour. It shall read, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. But obviously, the context here of, of Hebrews is he's talking about, you know, being saved by faith. So, he's talking about saving faith, and what does he say? He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author of that faith. Now, that word author in the Greek is archegos, and it means one who starts something off. I mean, an author, he starts the book, doesn't he? So, 
you've got the author and perfecter of your faith. Now he's going to complete it. All right, that's because you're going to be glorified. Your salvation will be complete when you're glorified, when you've got your glorified body. All right? So, so, so Jesus is going to make sure you get your glorified body. Um, you know, but the point is, he was the author of your faith. You know, sort of, he wrote that in your heart. See? Um, so, the fact that you became a Christian was itself a gift from God. He did it. Um, it, it was actually part of the new covenant working in you. It wasn't how you got into the new covenant. That was the new covenant working itself out in you. And uh, it's the sign that you're in it. So you don't enter the new covenant by believing on Jesus. The fact that you believe in Jesus is the first tangible evidence that you're actually in it, because God has put you there. Go to Hebrews. Well, we're in Hebrews. Go back to chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, let's read from verse 13. Uh, again, he's talking about the sacrificial system, that the old, the old covenant was no good, needed a new one. Uh, he says, The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremony, ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. You know, because the Lord dealt with externals. How much more, then, will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. You see? If you're called, you'll receive it. Because God has decided who he wants to give it to. A king can give what he wants to who he wants. See? You receive it if God has decided to give it to you. So, what are we seeing? Am I in the new covenant because I fulfilled the condition of believing in Jesus? No. We've just read directly that Jesus is the mediator of a covenant that will affect those who are called those whom God has decided is going to be in it. Let's, let's see this elsewhere, go back to Romans 8, because it really is all over the place. It really is all over the place. In Romans chapter 8, we'll, we'll start with the uh, first one. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life, that's the new covenant, has set me free from the law of sin and death. For that which the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, i.e. the law told you you needed salvation, but it could only tell you, well, if you're good, you'll get it and you can't do that. So the law couldn't give you salvation because it was weakened by the flesh. So instead, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man and to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sin nature but according to the spirit so the new covenant has put the righteousness of jesus inside of us the law is fulfilled in our own lives but now let's go to the end of chapter 8 and verse 28 and paul says 
and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose for those whom God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be the first firstborn among many brothers and those he predestined he also called and those he called he justified and those he justified he also glorified now that makes it pretty clear doesn't it that God decided that you and I were going to be Christians God decided that you and I were going to be in the covenant of grace that came into being through the death of Jesus go to Ephesians I wouldn't want to be accused of just picking out the odd verse here and there would I Ephesians chapter 1 start reading from verse 3 praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every blessing in Christ for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will verse 11 in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will go back to 1 Peter 1 Peter chapter 2 we saw it earlier the thing about you know being a, a people belonging to God all right um, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 you might have just missed the first bit of the verse 1 Peter 2 verse 9 but you are a chosen people and, and that comes first yes we are a royal priesthood we are a holy nation we're a people belonging to God why we're in the new covenant everything the old covenant kind of hinted at but couldn't do the new covenant has so we are all those things but why are we all those things are we all those things because oh yes yes I'm going to believe on Jesus and enter the covenant no we're in it because we're a chosen people that comes first you are a chosen people and because of that you're in the covenant and therefore you're a royal priesthood blah 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 you see so the point is you didn't get into the new covenant by coming to Jesus you might have thought you did but you didn't you came to Jesus because God had put you in the new covenant it was his will we've just read verses that are all about him who works out everything in conformity to his will haven't we go to John's gospel chapter 1 John's gospel chapter 1 and we have like what's, what's called the, the prologue no cracks about Frankie Howard prologue uh, John chapter 1 and uh, verse 12 yet to all 
who received what yes sorry to all who received him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God you say there you are look we believed and that gave us the right to become children of God now verse 13 children born not of natural descent nor of a human decision or a husband's will but born of God <laughs> now what's the picture there God's talking about birthing sons when you're born again you're born again as God's child all right now what is the picture here it's it's your physical birth now then when you were born physically whose choice was that was that yours or was it your mum and dad's only here our birth is not you know of, of man it's a spiritual birth we're born again because God decided he wanted us to be born again. Can you see? It's nothing to do with the will of man. A little baby, you know, sort of doesn't lie in the womb saying, oh, you know, sort of like, oh, yes, I, I decide to be born. I do. This is, this is my own free will choice. What choice has he got? You see what I mean? He's there because of something that somebody else did. Well, in fact, something that two people did. His parents. All right. So, there you are. We, um... We are in the New Covenant simply because God put us there. Let's see what Jesus taught about this. Remain in John's Gospel, chapter 5. Chapter 5. What did Jesus believe about this? Because whatever he believed about it, I'm, I'm inclined to think he was probably right. John 5, verse 21. John 5, verse... 21 and Jesus said for just as the father raises the dead and gives them life even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it go to chapter 6 and find verse 35 Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Now just notice that. Who comes to Jesus? Well, those whom the Father has given him. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at, at the last day. I am going to be raised up at the last day, dead cert, salvation, absolutely secure. Why? Because God gave me to Jesus. And Jesus said that. I'm not going to lose anything of what my father gave me. See? Um, go to chapter 15. Chapter 15 and verse 16. Um, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. 
You might think that you chose Jesus, and indeed you did, but only because he chose you. Because he chose you, you responded. See, the covenant began to work in you. Uh, chapter 17. First of all, verse 6. This is Jesus praying to the Father. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Verse 9. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Uh, verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be where I am. Now, is it that we gave ourselves to Jesus and because we did that we fulfilled the condition, we put our faith in Jesus and got into the new covenant? No, no. We got, we, we gave ourselves to Jesus because we already belong to the Father. I gave myself to Jesus because the Father gave me to him. You see what I mean? Um, and we were already his by divine choice. That's the point. I'm a Christian because I was his by divine choice. I responded because God had chosen me. My very response was the first gift of faith that God gave me. We'll round it off with Acts 13. Acts chapter 13. And... Uh, is when the disciples head off to the Gentiles to preach the gospel to them. Acts 13, and uh, we want verse 48, I think. Yeah, um, they've been preaching to the Gentiles. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. It doesn't say that all those who believed were appointed to eternal life. The, the Greek is quite clear here. It says that all those who were appointed for eternal life believed. You believe in Jesus because you're appointed for eternal life. You believe in Jesus because you were in the covenant of grace that God has made. And uh, so, I mean, it's simply this. At the back of your free will response to submit to God, at the back of that was God's free will choice that you would. And we're in the deep things of God. I, I can't go any further. I can just say this is what the Bible says. But rather than trip over it, let's rejoice in it. Rather than think, oh goodness, you know, this, this creates problems. Look, can you see how safe we are? Can you see how certain it is? Did we really think that when we got saved, that that was us doing our bit? You know, sort of like, uh, you know, well, I mean, the Lord commands us to repent, and, well, here I am, Lord, and yes, I think that's right, I'm making a moral choice here, and uh, I'm just momentarily escaping from the power of sin that has kept me in slavery and has blinded me my entire life. I've just managed to step aside from that, Lord, and I'm saying, yes, I'm going to follow you. I mean, it didn't work like that. We didn't do our bit, and then God did his and saved us. We came to him because he chose us. It was royal grant. The new covenant is a royal grant one. You're just in it. And if you're in it, you will have faith in Jesus. It's uh, as simple as that. Salvation doesn't 
and never did depend on us. Question, do you really think that a man's salvation is really dependent on kind of whether or not he, he gets to the right point and the right frame of mind where he's suddenly disposed to believe in Jesus. If it was like that, then what has actually saved me? If I'm presented, if you believe on Jesus, Beresford, you will be saved. What is the basis then of my salvation? The basis of my salvation is that I believed. See? It's salvation by works. One work, yes, but still work. The point is that even my faith was a gift from God. It wasn't something that I actually did. It was something that God did in me. Just go back to Romans 8, all right? And uh, we're coming right to the end now. And in Romans 8, we'll just read... Um, from verse 31, and uh, these are tremendous verses, alright? He says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? There it is again. It is God who justifies. Now just go down into verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? It's written, for your sake we face death all day long, considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now there you have eternal security. We're saved. We will never be lost. And those verses really demonstrate that to us. But question, as Paul's writing here, why is it, on what basis does he conclude that nothing can ever take us outside of God's salvation? Well, it was the verses that came immediately before about predestination. That's the point. Our security lies in the fact that from the very beginning, God chose us. You only got in the covenant because God chose you, and therefore you're going to get to heaven. You're going to be glorified. Why? Because it depends from start to finish merely on God's choice. It doesn't depend on us at all. Think of it like this. A covenant is a will, all right? A gift that you make. And the picture that the Bible uses is a will you die, alright? So I die and everything I've got, not much, but I decide who gets it and who gets it ends up with a gift, alright? It's a will. A testament, the last will of someone. Now, the point is, the person who makes the will decides who gets what. 
The person who makes the will decides if someone gets something, and if they do, what they get. Now, the point is, when Jesus died on the cross, his last will and testament went into effect. And he left certain people a gift. And the gift that he willed us, all right, was eternal life. Now, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is the executor of the will. The Holy Spirit makes sure that you get what Jesus left us in his will. What he left us was eternal life. Now, here's the point. My name was in Jesus' will. Your name was in Jesus' will. And that is why you're a Christian. And his last will, the will, do you know what it's called? It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And I'm named in it. And because God named me in the Lamb's Book of Life, I came into the New Covenant. I got saved. God gave me the gift, the ability to be able to repent of my sins and believe on Jesus. And that is why our salvation is absolutely secure. It cannot be lost because it doesn't depend in any way on us. Unconditional. You believe on Jesus because you're in the new covenant. Therefore, you can know for sure that no matter what might happen, that salvation can never be lost. God decided in eternity past that you were going to be glorified with him in heaven. And that is exactly what it's going to be. Right, we've answered question number three. What is this grace we are under? And we've seen it tonight. Um, but we've still got question number four. Does it mean that if we're under law and not grace, um, and we are, we're under grace, law is gone. Therefore, does that mean that grace is lawlessness? And after all, what I've said tonight, if it doesn't matter, if it's not conditional upon us, well then, what's the problem with the idea that now we're under grace, well, let's, let's just live as we like, because there's nothing for us to do. Or is there? Well, next time, we'll see the answer to that. And uh, remember, I'm still a bit, bit out on a limb in what I said two talks ago about the fact that we're not under the Ten Commandments and that little mystery will be solved next time. So keep coming next time why grace isn't lawlessness. So uh, we'll carry on then. So, sorry it was a, a bit long tonight, but uh, that's just the way it is.